So here we are today, we find ourselves at the beginning of Holy Week, once again. Once again, entering the familiar rhythm of our progression through Christ's life, begun at Christmas, and inevitably arriving here at this day, at this week. This is also our second Holy Week when we're not able to meet in person because of COVID. We have that strangeness still with us. We're not able to fully immerse ourselves in the sights, smells, and sounds of this sacred commemoration. And yet time marches on. And we find ourselves back here at this strange day. A day which begins with so much excitement and anticipation as we boldly inhabit the nameless crowd from 2,000 years ago, waving branches and shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven." You can hear the joy and hope in these words, welcoming the Messiah into Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna, this word which comes from the Hebrew meaning, save, please. So much expectation bound up in this one person riding a simple donkey into a city. And everything about this entrance carries meaning. The donkey itself connotes royalty as well as humility. The branches, the laying down of the cloaks, everything proclaims that the heir of David is returning in this person of Jesus. A new era is dawning and God has sent the chosen one to liberate them. Hosanna in the highest. Then we experience the emotional whiplash as our liturgy turns on a dime. Almost as soon as we're done waving branches and singing all glory, laud, and honor, the darkness comes in. It enters among us. We fast forward to the end of Holy Week, to the painful retelling of the Passion. Our joy tarnishes, becoming mourning as Jesus is betrayed, sentenced to death, and dies on the cross. In this telling of Jesus' last day, we again find the nameless crowd. But their words are so very different than they were upon his entry into Jerusalem. Instead of crying out in praise and shouting, Hosanna, they cry out loudly, Crucify Him! And it's a quick change, not just in our liturgy, in this moment, but in actuality. The crowd changes in just a few short days. Their crying becomes hostile in a few short days. And in thinking about this, I can't help wonder why. What's going on here? How were they able to switch so quickly? 
I think part of this is it's about expectations. The crowd was joyous when welcoming Jesus because they saw one thing and they wanted that one thing, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of God, the leader who was going to come and liberate them temporally, who was going to free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire, give them a life, again, control over themselves. But Jesus didn't bring this. Yes, after entering Jerusalem, Jesus did speak out against the religious elite. He cleansed the temple. He urges people to be in right relationship with God and each other. But he refuses to speak out against the Roman Empire. Maybe you remember the story when they come to Jesus and they ask if they should pay taxes. And Jesus refuses to get into the conversation, saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God. He doesn't amass an army. He doesn't make a plan for a rebellion. Instead, he speaks of love and authenticity and authority and the destruction of what they have dear. This isn't what the crowd signed up for when they took up those branches. It's not what they agreed to when they laid their cloaks on the ground for Jesus to walk over. This isn't how they asked God to come among them. This isn't the liberation they sought. So they rejected Jesus. They turned their backs on him. And the same voices changed from jubilation to spiteful condemnation. Usually when we are gathered together on this day, on Palm Sunday, we inhabit the crowd. First, we take up palms and we march around singing. And then when we gather in here, we normally have a dramatic reading of the Passion where different people take different parts. And of course, all of us put ourselves in the position of the crowd. It's always a jarring moment for me when we take up the cry, crucify him. And this is a long-standing tradition within Christianity to put ourselves in the place of the crowd. Perhaps this week, during your Lenten journey, you will join in singing the 17th century hymn that proclaims, Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, I was denied thee. I crucified thee. This past Wednesday, when we were in our Bible study, Reverend Nancy reminded us and pointed out that if we were the crowd 2,000 years ago, we most likely would have been disappointed in Jesus, too. We would have turned because what we thought we needed in that moment wasn't what Jesus was offering us, wasn't what God in human flesh was giving us. In our liturgy, in our scriptures, there's an invitation to inhabit this dissonant space 
but moves quickly from joy to condemnation. I wonder how often we act out this ancient drama in our own lives. How often do you and I reject what God is offering because it doesn't conform to what we think should happen or how we believe God should act? We, as human beings, and as people who engage intellectually with our faith, our thinkers and planners and meaning makers, that's part of what it means to be human. We arrive at how we believe the world works and plot a course of action dependent on that understanding. And we come up with wonderful schemes about how everything is to be. We like things to be neat and organized. We like things to make sense. We like to have that knowledge, to possess it, to grasp it as firmly as we can. We place ideas, plans, and faith into nice, neat, carefully organized boxes that we stack up in a particular order. Everything in its place, we're comfortable with that. It feels right. And we protect these boxes from being disturbed. We put up defenses around them, procedures, processes that keep them in place. Since I've been here at Trinity, I've heard a couple people talk about the Concord bubble. I don't know if that's a thing, but since I've heard it from a few people, I imagine that other people recognize the same. The idea that Concord is sort of a world unto its own. And I've experienced this in a really embodied way with the pandemic. By the middle to the end of the summer, five of my friends had lost their parents to COVID. With all the pain and the misery that went along with that, not being able to spend their last days or their last moments with them, just being surrounded by the people who work in the hospital. And I, it seemed that something different was happening here in Concord. There weren't as many people coming down with COVID. It didn't play as big of a role in our lives. And I think somehow the protection of the bubble protected us here from what other people experience in that moment. This conquered bubble is analogous to what we do with our thoughts and our beliefs. We create structures for our own ease and protection. And if things align with them, that's great. But if they don't, we automatically reject them. We throw them out. We dismiss them quickly. And frequently, we have the privilege of making that happen. We have a lot of control over the worlds we construct. But never forget that God is not someone to be controlled. God is not someone to be put into carefully arranged boxes 
or conform to the structures that we ourselves build. God is beyond all of that, beyond what we know, what we can conceive. So when God arrives in holy contrariness, do we not change our voices just as quickly from Hosanna to crucify? Don't we shift from joyful welcome to outright rejection as the crowd did 2,000 years ago? Of course, we use softer words and justify it to ourselves. This isn't the way we do things. That would be unsound. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Or we wrap ourselves in our academic degrees and in our possessions and in our wealth to protect ourselves like a warm blanket on a cold winter's night. We barricade ourselves in so God can't overturn the tables of our hearts. Whatever form it takes, however we express it, we still engage in the Palm Sunday rejection of the passion today. We don't see how or where God is leading us because we don't have that vision in The crowd 2,000 years ago had their eyes so firmly set on political liberation that they could not see the radical and revolutionary action that God was engaging to spiritual liberation of eternity in mystic. This holy week, I urge you to drop your preconceived notions of who God is and how God acts. Search for the structures of our own creating in our lives that keep God from getting in. I urge us all to make ourselves vulnerable the action of the Holy Spirit, vulnerable, such a scary thing, but God was vulnerable. God in vulnerability took on human flesh, became one of us, and this is the story that we are living in today. I urge you to feel the discomfort and pain and unexpectedness of this week, to listen and to look for God where we may not have intentionally replace the cry of crucify with a simple Hosanna. Save us, please. Amen.